Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. I am so happy that you're going to be able to hear part two of my conversation with Michael Laskin and Andrea Gionis. They are both actors, and Michael also runs an acting studio. And they decided to come on the show to be able to talk about their effort in infusing an ethical code into the world of acting and acting teachers, acting studios. While they know they can't necessarily enforce it per se, although I wish they could, they can present it. And it's so beautifully developed and sensitively done and important. And it's something that really could be applied to so many different environments where the person in charge takes control and takes over in a way that crosses boundaries, in a way where they make it about themselves and their ego aggrandizement. And they can end up being cruel and really cause people to be very confused or broken down or dependent. All the things that can interfere with you actually having self-confidence and being able to do things in a way that you really should have been able to if someone hadn't gotten in your way. Michael Laskin has been a working actor for over 40 years across all platforms, film, theater, and television. 12 years ago, he started the Michael Laskin Studio, an acting studio in Los Angeles. His book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself, has been praised as a fresh, newly examined, and non-dogmatic approach to the work and the life of an actor. And Andrea is a Los Angeles native. She started playing the piano at age five and did her first play when she was nine, playing Snoopy in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. In addition to acting and piano, she has studied singing, guitar, and flute, multi-talented. She currently is in school, earning a bachelor's in nutritional sciences while she pursues her career in acting. She also is a freelance writer for online publications, including where she originally wrote about the cult-like atmosphere of acting classes, and we'll provide a link to that article. Here are Andrea and Michael. Going back to something that you said about this acting coach, teacher, I don't know what label he was going by, but the one who just said, that's so wrong, that's so wrong. Is there at times within acting classes, because it happens sometimes within controlling and abusive relationships and cultic groups and a lot of what I call systems of control, where when you're doing a good job, you also get knocked down. Like you're not supposed to feel too competent and comfortable and because then you might not need to come back for more classes or you might not be as dependent because sometimes people will tell me, just like you said, I thought I was doing a really good job or I was doing exactly as this person told me to do or I was feeling it was feeling just so right. And that's when I was knocked down the most. So I just wonder if there's something about that because that person could still maintain control over you without you getting too confident. What do you think? 
I think that definitely happened in that class. I'm not sure if that particular instant, maybe it was, I hadn't thought of it that way. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because it happens in, in other contexts. It may not have been the situation in that moment, but it just reminded me of other situations. I know for sure I saw that because when I first, this class also has the levels, beginning, intermediate, advanced, and the master class. I was placed um, into intermediate to begin with for the sole reason that I didn't have an agent at the time, had nothing to do with experience or training. And while I was in that class, I I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. Um, no, no, not there, because your your goal was to get into the advanced class. So they would, so there you were actually trying to grow. They would knock you down sometimes just to make sure that you were still hanging on. But um, once you got into the advanced class, because the master class was like, that's the class where the famous people went. So you're not going to get into that class. So advanced basically was where you would end up. And I do think you're, you're correct, especially in that, in that level. Okay. And it's so hard because you want to listen to the person who's in charge and you want to take in, you know, you want to, I guess, have the humility to take in what they're saying, but just being able to evaluate why they're saying it, it often doesn't get evaluated on the spot. And later when they called, when I didn't come back and they called me in for, um, meetings, which I, I shouldn't have attended, but I, I did. He was the one who brought up that critique. And he was like, well, he said, well, yeah, you deserve that critique. And I said, but why? And he's like, because you didn't learn anything in that scene. And I said, I absolutely learned something in that scene. And he's like, what could you have learned? And I said, well, I learned how to take a character that's not quite right for me and make it my own. It was that fragile ego of like, that you were talking about earlier where, where you could, I could tell that he, he wanted to be right. You know, he, he, he wanted me to be wrong <laughs> and he wanted to be like, well, I was, I was right for giving you that critique. Wow. And I think also about that statement, you didn't learn anything. How would someone else possibly know if you've learned something or not? <laughs> you how didn't about, ask me. <laughs> right, I was going to say, how about asking, right? That's one way to find out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Michael. Yeah, go ahead. As I'm hearing all these horror stories that I have not personally experienced, but only contextual experienced, when people would leave, I would get very insecure about it. I mean, this is something I can confess. It's not something I really expressed that, why did you leave? Uh, but often they came back. So I have, I've had people, people will come for six months, eight months, a year. Then I won't see them for a year. Then they'll come back and they'll be in class again because they want to, they need it, whatever. And that's a different thing. Like Andrew, you would never go back to Beverly Hills Playhouse taking a, taking a break and going back because it was toxic. I mean, the byproduct of how I've tried to do it, we've built up this tremendous community of people who like each other, who work together outside of class on projects. I've had people get married. I've had, you know, just a lot of things that have grown out, organically grown out of the community and the collective of people. So like even, even last night, we, were, I gave, we, we gave a fairly interesting assignment for next week that has to do with um, everyone's concentrating now on self-tapes because that's the new currency. You know, you have to get good at taping yourself. And we did that in week one. And in week four, I said, take notes, do your self-tape again. But if the scene, and there's a, there's a dogma about doing a self-tape, neutral background, there's, there's an industry standard sort of thing. I said, so forget about that when you redo it. I said, if it takes place in the kitchen, shoot it in your kitchen. Make it a little scene. And one of my 
uh, one of the guys I kind of co-teach with said, and you know what? We have a lot of smart people in this class. If you're having trouble, call each other up. That's kind of what just has grown into uh, a collective of people. Again, I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not the most perfect person, but I think creating an environment where people feel they can do that is just great. I mean, I, I'm so happy when some, I, I'm the first person who will say like, if somebody, and I, I do my criticism, then I open it up. I don't, know if other, I don't know if the teachers that you've had, Andre, do that, but I'll say, after I say my piece, and somebody will come up with a, and I'll say, that's a great note. I didn't think of that. That's great. I'm, I don't have an ego about that. I mean, all the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And so we all tend to try to do it together. So it's complete, It's completely different. Right. I mean, but it's an interesting question for you, Andrea. So did that happen? at your studio that there would be a response to what an actor did or a student did. And then, then it was open for the students' feedback to that response or to that evaluation. At the Beverly Hills Playhouse, there was a very strictly enforced rule that not only do you not comment on anybody's scene during the critique, but you do not talk to that actor after they receive their critique. And you, especially you don't talk to them about their critique ever. They said this because they're like, we want to protect our actors. If they, if they received a really tough critique, don't talk to them because we don't want to undo it because they're growing. You don't want to grow, make them shrink back down. One time I received, I mean, this critique was, it just tore me apart. It was one of these critiques where he just tore the entire scene apart. He made my, I had worked on this scene so hard and I'll admit like the scene itself, it didn't feel like the best time we'd ever done it. Cause we, we rehearsed a lot, but I was still kind of proud of it. I was proud of, even if I didn't feel like I was completely in the moment the whole time, I was like, I feel like the bones were there. I felt like we came up with really creative and good ways to do the scene. And, and he just knocked everything over and he, he made it seem like I was just this, you know, horrible actor who tried to bite off more than I could chew, basically. And I was, I was shocked. I was in complete shock after this. And I wanted nothing more than to be able to just vent to somebody just a little bit, just be like, it wasn't that bad, right? Just give me a little bit of reassurance. So I don't want to go home and just like cry into a pillow all night. And there was nobody I could talk to. And I felt so alone. I felt like for the rest of the class, everyone was like, it's, it's that paranoia where you're like, everyone's staring at me. Everyone's looking at me. Everyone's opinion of me has gone down. And I felt so, it, it just felt so horrible. And I was almost too embarrassed to go to my next class after that. It, it stayed with me. But then the better classes that don't practice these cult-like tactics, they do what Michael does and they do open it up to the rest of the class. And, and you know, there's, a certain amount of exercise that should be controlled over that because some some students can just go on and on and on and class does have to end at a certain time but um yeah like they they do accept more feedback from the other people in class they understand that everyone has a different take on it and you can learn from everyone wow getting feedback and then it can be awful it can be it can tear you apart and then no one is supposed to talk to you about it because it's going to interfere with the perfection of it you know, that also goes back to this grandiosity, right? What I just laid on you is this magic bean, right? And now you have to let it grow and no one can get in the way of it. 
I also think back on talking to a lot of people who have, who were in situations. I even think about some of these awful residential teen treatment centers where and some therapy cult where people had to sit in a circle and they had to berate each other. And the more they berated each other, the crueler they were, the more points they somehow got. And also people who saw other people being berated or criticized in, in a cruel way and were kept from being able to step in to protect them or to soothe them in some way and say, I'm so sorry, or I totally don't agree with what you were told and you don't deserve that. People leave those situations. It's like the, the guilt of the bystander. They, they were robbed of their ability to show their humanity. And so I think it's cruel for everyone involved. When I saw somebody receiving that sort of critique after, I would secretly go to them and it just felt so wrong, not inhumane. Yeah, isn't it so interesting, though, that you had to do that secretly, that you had to show your conscience, but secretly? So messed up. I'm teaching a class at the moment. It's an acting class for directors. Most of them, all of them, except I think there's one person there who's done some acting, have never acted. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you do some acting and you're going to probably hate it. And you might suck at it. And that's okay. I want you to walk in those shoes and so that you understand the task, particularly if you're, shoot, if you're doing film, you don't have all this time to explore and talk about it, and blah, blah, blah. You have very little time. The clocks, run, we're running out of light. We've got to get the shot in the next 10 minutes. There isn't a lot of time. So I was talking to a class yesterday morning and he was asking me, like, when you want an actor to do something different, you don't have a lot of time, but the actor is not giving you what you need. I said, the first thing you do, unless it's, unless it's just the person's doing a horrendous job, which hopefully is never the case. I said, give them a little sugar. Just say, that was good. That was good. I want to do a little different now. As long as you say that was good, even if you don't fully believe it, but you need the actor to be on the same side. We need to be rowing the boat in the same direction. Just give them, I said, if you give an actor even the smallest compliment, they will be your friend for life. You'll get what you need in that moment. You know, so positive reinforcement, in other words. You know, understand what you need from them, but if you, if you berate them and yell at them, you're never going to get what you need. So give them a little positivity. That was good. Okay, I want to try something different. Here's what I want to do on this take. We got that. That's great. Let's do this now. Of course it works. Because we need that. We are, we are, you know, I'm just hearing Andrea's tone of voice when she's talking about these scenes she did where she thought she did a great job and then she got berated. And it's horrible. It's horrible to get that kind of criticism. You know, very, you know, if you've put forth your, an effort and if you've put the work in, it may not be perfect, but you've, it's, the only time I get angry with somebody is if they're lazy, if they haven't done the work. If they're lazy, they haven't done the work and they haven't prepared, then I'm not happy with that. There's no, there's no room for that if you want, in, in, in this endeavor, because if you want to succeed, you can't be lazy. You have to work hard. Acting is about, judging and acting is about opinion. So like, oh, I didn't like him. Oh, you didn't? Oh, really? I liked him. Well, why? I don't know. I just didn't like him. There's a lot of that. So if you're a soprano and you can sing this aria, you can hit those notes, that's a verifiable skill. But acting is a lot about opinions, unless it's Shakespeare. That's a verifiable skill that's harder. But otherwise, it's, there's a lot of opinions, and, and a lot of people are wrong. And a lot of people are, it's, a lot of it is bullshit. So it's understanding what you want to do personally 
and and your personal goals. And I hear these stories, not only Andreas, but I've heard others. It just, it makes me really angry. For the people who actually experience breakdowns during class, they were told that it, that was good and that they were um, progressing. And the breakdowns would happen because the teachers were so cruel. They would just scream and yell. And I would just see people having just crying, sobbing, meltdowns and then we weren't even allowed to go and and comfort them after <laughs> couldn't give my friends a hug after they had been just horribly beaten down emotionally it's so cruel i've actually it's interesting you talk about breakdowns because i've said i think on this podcast but i say a lot to the people who come to see me who have been damaged in situations like this that you actually don't i mean people who have been pushed to the brink that you don't need a breakdown in order to have a breakthrough because then you just you're still you're traumatized <laughs> you're reeling you're confused you have a ton of adrenaline going through your system because you're having a breakdown you can't listen to what's happening you have totally shut down in fact in terms of brain chemistry when you have a release of adrenaline it does quiet the parts of your brain that have to do with language and reasoning and memory so, you know, when somebody gets somebody riled up and upset and then just throws all of this instruction at them or tells them to take it from the top, like, no, I can barely think, like I'm barely breathing. Give me a minute and stop doing that to me. But you don't feel like you can do that in that moment. And you're really robbed of being able to protect yourself, which I think is probably one of the most traumatizing parts of it. The teacher will break you down so that he or she can build you up and say, look what I just did. Look what I own this now. This person is mine because I built this person back up. person had to be torn down. Somebody did it, so I did. And look what I created. I, that's what I, I mean. I, it's like that movie Whiplash. It's like, the, you know, and, and this, my wife um, was in, it hasn't been for a long time, but was in the musical world, the opera world. In classical music, it's just it's just rampant. It's even worse. Anytime you have artists and master teachers in quotes, uh, you have this. No, it's been it's been horrible in the music world for a long time. I mean, yeah, I think about people who are vocalists and who are musicians. There is a right note and a wrong note, <laughs> and so it does have to be perfect. And I don't know how people don't buckle under that pressure. So moving into code of ethics. Um, and again, anyone listening who is in a situation, whether it's an acting school or any organization where there really isn't a code that is followed by, and also there isn't an outside source to go to where people in those situations, again, if they are relying on this external locus of control to be watched and stopped in order for them to stop doing something wrong rather than it coming internally where their conscience stops them. They do need to have this code that is applied to them. People can say, you broke the code. You didn't follow the code. This is the code. This is what's right. And you did something clearly wrong and that then they're held accountable. I mean, the accountability is lacking in so many classes, so many mm, groups that I come across and also just abusive relationships in general. So tell me about that conversation, just starting to talk about there, there being a code and what's in it, what's on it. So there are two parts to our code. There are rules and then the guidelines that sort of explain the rules. The first thing that we have is that 
prospective students should be allowed to audit or audition for or interview with the namesake of the studio. So a lot of these studios will, the namesake will be completely unreachable. unreachable. They'll be, you know, they'll teach the master class and that's it. They won't meet new students, but how is the student supposed to know that they want to join the class? And how is the teacher supposed to know that they want to work with the student if they don't meet beforehand? And so these auditions or interviews must not only be allowed, but free of charge. Um, so if you audit a class, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to pay. And I've heard about a lot of teachers charging, not just charging money, but charge, charging exorbitant amounts of money for students to just come and sit and watch. So we have that as the first rule and also the namesake of the studio must be accessible to their students. Okay. So I, I'm sorry to jump in. I just, I'm going to relate it back to the work that I do. Yes, yes, and yes. I totally agree with all of it. And the nature of the group usually is a reflection of the person in charge. And until you meet the person in charge, you sometimes don't know if you're going to be safe there. And so I think a lot of people will get involved in something and never meet the person in charge. And they will have been there for years, but they haven't reached that level or they haven't deserved it yet, or they haven't sacrificed enough to prove blah, blah, blah. And so they never get to see that this person actually gives them the creeps or, you know, is abusive or something. Cause there's going to be that trickle down, I think, disorder that goes through an organization. And so unless you see where it's originating or who's in charge of it, you don't have a sense about how healthy or unhealthy the organization is. So yes. Okay, go ahead. All class policies must be clearly spelled out ahead of time. Policies will concern what's expected of both the student and the teacher, including financial obligations, general class behavior, and professionalism. So this is a two-way street. The teacher and the student must both adhere to these class guidelines. What a novel idea, being able to make a fully educated decision, <laughs> right? Uh, it is, it really is novel. I mean, it, it doesn't happen often enough in most areas and also with relationship, right? You don't always know, right? To begin with, because as I think Chris Rock said one time that when you first meet someone, you're meeting their representative because people know how to put on a good front for a while, but okay. All right. So go ahead. So students, if they wish, should be allowed to take classes elsewhere simultaneously, which we sort of covered before about students not being allowed to associate basically with other people from other classes. So that's, that's very important. Um, you shouldn't just stay in this little bubble where you're just being brainwashed and fed the same information. The next one is about teachers claiming students. The Beverly Hills Playhouse absolutely did this. And most of these big acting classes do this where they will claim students and their successes without the permission of the student. So on the walls will be names of all of these famous actors who Maybe they attended one class or maybe they came and spoke once, but the teachers and the classes will claim them as former students and they'll say they made it because of us. To amplify that a little bit, because I, I have some famous people that I have worked with who have gone on to do very well. And they're, I have quotes from them on my website, but these are all, for the most part, they're people who wanted to do this. And, and some of them are very well known and some of them are not just people who, an average person who maybe has a, a middling career, but, but loved being at the studio and had something constructive to say. But also you're not claiming to be the source of their success. 
they're just endorsing you. Very interesting. Right. And in that way, these teachers are using these actors for themselves and for their, their reputations. And it's so interesting because they do it without, it's very shameless just to do that and to claim that, you know, you're responsible. And it reminds me also in a lot of very unhealthy organizations too, that, you know, whatever you do that's wrong is on you. Whatever you did that's right is because of the teacher. And so all your successes then are because of the, you know, the wisdom and benevolence of this teacher. Okay, so go ahead. The next one is highly sexualized scenes in class must have clear and direct permission from the students involved. No inappropriate or deeply uncomfortable work in this area will be permitted. If anyone feels unsafe, they should be free to decline working on the scene and not be punished for that. I was hoping that was going to be part of it, right? That there wouldn't be a consequence for saying no. Next one is private coaching for audition should be offered at a discount, amount of which would be at the discretion of the studio owner for those already paying for an ongoing class. So the thing is, and this is probably not known, I'm sure it's not known to the general public, actors who are in the mix and working and have an agent and are actually going out on auditions and have the beginnings of a professional career or in it, often the manager or agent will say, now you have to coach for this audition. We insist that you coach. Here's our list of coaches that are, that we think are great. And I get clients because I'm on lists. I don't know how I'm on some of those lists, but I am. I get clients frequently. I, and I always say, who, who recommended you? Because I always want to keep track of who that is, because it's not something I've actually solicited. So my feeling is if you're already in a class, if you're in my studio and you want to coach, you don't pay the same rate. I just think that's fair, you know, because often they will say to um, actors, I have somebody I worked with yesterday. She's doing extremely well. I coach with her a lot and she gets four or five major auditions a week. Now, she doesn't coach with me on all those, but I think they feel, whether rightly or wrongly, the agents or managers really encourage people to do private coaching, which is quite expensive. And um, my feeling is this, if you're already in my class and you need to coach on an audition, or if you're doing a job, you're on a series or you're in a movie and you want to work on a couple of scenes, I will do that for less money because you're part of my community already. So I just feel strongly about that. That's a, that's a kind of a weird, specific, industry-specific thing that a lot of people don't know about. But it's hard to tell somebody who owns a studio that they have to discount something, but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it is the right thing to do. And I'm glad you mentioned it for people who don't know that that's an option um, and that that should be an option. Very important. And and I think also just not, you know, using something as a way to take advantage of people and make money off of them and, you know, to know that they're already giving a lot money and time and their heart to something. So don't make it harder. Okay. Okay, great. Next. If a student is having financial problems and is receiving a discount or scholarship from the studio in exchange for work, the work given to the student should not be personal because, you know, that stereotype of, you know, the actor walking the acting teacher's dog or doing their laundry, that's a real thing. And it is highly inappropriate. (laughs) Um, You keep your personal life separate, you know, and, and it should not, uh, the second part of this is that it, the work that you do for the teacher should not exceed 10 hours a week. Okay. So, right. So setting a boundary around it in terms of time, but also what it is that you're being asked to do that 
pertains so much again to the clients who I see who were painting their therapist's house. Uh, and right. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's really playing on a couple things there where people feel that they're being made to feel indebted to you and that they want to give back or they're supposed to give back. And a lot of people will set it up that way. So a person feels indebted, especially if they can get across to you that, again, they're offering you something you can't get anywhere else. Right? It's like this. there's a, a Bible-based cultic group that I deal with where they, they baptize people within the first week. And people sort of found that startling, of course, which is, it's not typical, but it's so that then we're giving you eternal life. What are you going to do for us? And so it works, gets people to really give a lot and bring a lot of people in, et cetera. So, right. So to understand that if you want to do that, it needs to be reasonable and it needs to not be humiliating also just to prove your allegiance because sometimes people are put in that situation too. A lot of these teachers I knew would have students do this personal work for them. And then they'd act like it was a privilege to be doing this. You get, you get to come to my house. You get to see how I live. Creepy. Yes, quite. Okay, go ahead. Each studio must have a stated policy of no abuse. And this in includes financial, psychological, racial, or sexual abuse. And this should be a signed policy. Yeah, signed by both the studio owner and the actor. Great. That's really great. And I think for people to know that it can be called abuse and it will be seen that way by the law because a lot of people don't know that what's happening to them is abuse. They think that it's for their betterment, for their growth, as you both have used that word, and to push them to the next level and, 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 or they deserve it, which happens in abusive relationships. People don't know that, that what happened to them is actually illegal. So that's really important. I've got it here. So continuing on the, uh, with the, the abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Verbal abuse and sexual harassment are not allowed. Any abuse that is financial, sexual, racial, or psychological will be reported to the appropriate legal authorities. And retribution of any sort, including public, private, or on social media toward a student who reports genuine abuse is prohibited. And additionally, anyone in class who observes genuine abuse, verbal, physical, financial, or sexual, should report it whether it happened to them or whether they were witness to it. And the last thing here is the student also has an obligation to the studio to be truthful in all charges of any abuse. Retribution is a two-way street. Each side must be honest and judicious when raising any charges, either in person or on social media. Mm. Very nice. So that taps into the sort of the bystander that we were talking about, that they're going to they're going to be able to be involved in this process of keeping other people safe because they're going to come forward. Hopefully it's so much that's so important just in terms of accountability. And there's too little of that in so many places. And then again, people are at other people's mercy. I really like that a lot. Yeah. And also when you mentioned also in private, because I think people do think they can get away with things if, you know, the general public doesn't see it. But people need to be encouraged to not keep other people's secrets when they're being... Okay, all right, go ahead. So then we have the class guidelines, uh, which it's... I don't know if you want to go into this. It's like basically be respectful, no harassment, keep personal relationships private, that sort of thing. Okay, so the first one on the 
guidelines is be respectful, which means that yelling, degradation, physical force, threats, guilt tripping, or other kinds of abuse is prohibited. Um, and any conflicts should be dealt with respectfully, professionally, and in an adult fashion. Any kind of sexual harassment between the teachers and students is absolutely prohibited. Furthermore, encouraging students to workshop scenes of the sexual nature, including but not limited to nudity, intimate contact with the scene partner, and touching themselves intimately is inappropriate. Any work uh, dealing with any level of physical intimacy must be dealt with professionally and safely. Class must always be a safe space. Nice. I mean, as you're reading these things, I'm thinking it's sad that they're necessary. I know. These things seem so, um, like, you should just know this. <laughs> right. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Right. What do we like, have to tell you? <laughs> exactly. Be a professional and be nice. Okay. Right. Like, why is that news? But you have to spell it all out. It's really it. This is giving me such a clear sense about all that can go wrong and all that has gone wrong. Okay. Go ahead. Keep personal relationships separate. It is inappropriate for a teacher to be romantically involved with a student. If a teacher initiates a romantic relationship with a student, even if consensual, both the student and the teacher should be removed from class. Mm -hmm. Love that. Done, right? Do, do, you're out. Okay, go ahead. Be inclusive. So students of all nationalities, colors, sexual orientations, experience level, gender slash gender expression, religion, education level, economic class, immigration status, size, and mental ability must be considered equally for class. That was another thing that I didn't really mention before is that there was a lot of stuff in class to do with weight. Teachers encouraging their students to lose weight or look a certain way. And that's a really important part of all of this that should be recognized as well. And there is a lot of shaming about weight in a lot of groups, uh, even religious groups. Uh, and it is used to make people feel really bad about themselves and out of control and gluttonous if that's, if it's a religious group. Um, but yeah, a lot of control over how you look and how you look in other people's eyes and being very cruel about it. Let me take the next one, Andrea. Sure. Charge fair prices. The financial status of the majority of acting students is often challenging. Acting is not a lucrative business for most. Therefore, exorbitantly priced classes can be, by definition, discriminatory. There are some classes in town that there's kind of a standard bandwidth of what people charge in the norm. And then there are some that are just crazy out of the norm. I think the feeling is, well, it must be great if it costs that amount of money. People do that, and it's it's just inappropriate. I mean, it's... Uh, Maybe because I because this was almost a second or third career for me, it was never something where I felt like, man, I have to, I have to pay the mortgage with this. So I routinely have I have somebody in my class right now who I really thought I wanted this person to be in class, and she was a friend of one of the guys I kind of co-teach with. And I said, just get her in. I said, if she can't pay this session, that's fine. She'll pay the next session, or she'll pay when she can pay. I I think she's it would be a great addition. So we do, I do that at least. And probably other studios do it as well. I scholarship people on a pretty regular basis if I feel they it's the right thing to do. Very nice. It's very nice. And it's true. People are under this impression that something is worth more if it costs more. Uh, and not necessarily. Uh, it could just be that that's what the, the teacher thinks they deserve to get. So, you know, we can create a code of ethics and that's fine. People can sign on to it. And then if they're not held accountable, they don't have to actually follow it. So we're gonna have some lists 
to uh, help people to hold people accountable. We're going to have a list of classes who are verified to actually be following our code of conduct. And verification comes from uh, students. They can we're gonna, we have an email address. They can contact us and let us know this class is absolutely following the code of conduct, and they should go on your list for classes who are. We are going to have a list of classes verified to not be following this code of conduct, and that's pretty self-explanatory. And then we're going to have a list of pending classes. So hopefully this will incentivize people to run their classes in an ethical fashion. That's really wonderful. And I, I hope that, you know, this list gets to feel so important in your world and in your field where people will be saying, you know, I need to run my class a certain way because I want to be on their good list. And that would be amazing. And I think that, you know, this is also really expansive. And that's why I wanted you to be able to go through it in detail, because I feel like so many people can kind of switch out the word acting class with whatever it is, right? Yoga, studio, Bible-based or large group awareness training, residential teen treatment. All these people who have come to me who've had these bad experiences, so much of what's happened falls under all these categories. And if only there were this code of ethics. Yeah. And then we also have a resource on our website for actors um, so that they can have guidelines for finding classes. Because some of the classes, you know, there are thousands of classes, not all of them are going to get on one of our lists. But, you know, you can take these guidelines in your search for a class and apply it and see if they pass the test for you. That's really good. Like a checklist. It's reminding me one time I um, there was a, a class I was teaching to college freshman about, you know, keeping yourself safe and how you can tell if something's unhealthy and if you're being manipulated. And we developed a checklist with all the reading that they did. I was there too, but I encouraged them to go check out a free introductory course for a particular group that is still around here in LA and also is in New York and some other places. And I said, you know, don't take my word for it. Just have this checklist and decide for yourself. If you notice, it's interesting. They had checked every one and added other ones. That, you know, just being there, they got to see so many other methods of control. And so we actually expanded the list based on what they learned from just having been there and seeing what people were up to. But I think it's very powerful as opposed to being told that something is good or bad to see it for yourself and evaluate it for yourself. It's really wonderful. Was there anything else before we finished up? The thing that's a little tricky is that we're not the police. And we are going to, I'm sure, once we get more fully formed here, get some blowback probably from some people. I don't really care personally, but so it's, I don't know that anyone's, and I've talked to a few acting, te- I don't know that many acting teachers. I know a few, and there's a couple I know quite well. And I don't know that anyone's really done this. So therefore it's gonna be, it's gonna freak some people out probably. And I don't know how we can ultimately control that everyone is adhering, you know, we're not, we're not the FBI and we're not going to be sending, although we, we could send spies to some of these places, I suppose. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that teachers will look at this and the ones who are already acting ethically will be able to say, oh yeah, no problem. I'll sign this. This is fine. I'm already doing this. <laughs> right. And I think also some teachers are going to teach the way they were taught. So they might not know that what they're doing is unethical because that's, what their instructor did with them. 
I think that's, it's going to be a good education for them, but right. I don't think you necessarily need to police it. it. You're also empowering the students to evaluate. There are people who tread both sides of a certain fence. In other words, there are people who teach, but who also are in casting. Therefore, if you study with me, I will get you into this cast casting session. So there's a little bit of there's there's more than a little bit of that that goes on. And that's a tricky territory. And, that, you know, it would be tricky for them as well to be really clear that, you know, how, where those lines are drawn. Yeah. Well, as long as they're acting ethically, then I don't know. It's a case by case basis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, I don't want. I don't want people to get scared of acting classes. There are plenty of wonderful classes. Michael's class is great. I'm in a, I'm in a great class right now. Um, this, this is just basically a resource to help you find the right class for you. Right. No, I'm glad that you did that disclaimer because I think what you're pointing out is what can go wrong, not that it does all the time. And these are the things that are most egregious. And I mean, if they were all that way, then this podcast would be about getting rid of all acting classes. Um, so not how to shift them to make them healthy or how to detect when it's not. And so I think it's very important. And uh, classes who, who don't get on the following the code list right away, they can change their practices and get on that list. You know, this is more to encourage people to start acting in a healthier manner than it is to punish. Well said. Well, I want to thank both of you for sharing your time and your wisdom and your insights and spending, I mean, I'm, I'm just listening to you read through this code. I can see how much time went into it and coming up with other ideas that would suddenly come to you, I'm sure. And you were in touch with each other about it. And you're trying to put something in place to ensure safety, which is really a valiant effort and very important. And so I congratulate both of you. And it'll be very interesting to see how this is utilized. I'm sure it will be knowing that people now know that it's out there, that there is a way to tell if something's healthy or not. It's really wonderful. So I wish you both well in your respective paths and careers and wherever things take you. And thank you again for your time. And it would be great to check in down the road to see how things are going with this and what changes have come into effect and how it's made an impact because I'm sure it will. Yeah. Thank you for having us. So appreciate it. Of course. A pleasure to talk to both of you. One more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Andrea and to Michael. It is so vital, I think, when people notice something wrong, that they do something about it. That's what makes this world a better place. That's what makes this world a safer place. But being able to set a standard, being able to say something is happening here where people can get away with it because there isn't necessarily an enforced standard or one that has been presented quite yet in a complete form, like the way they've put it together then, you know, you have people who are so vulnerable and that just was not going to be something they were going to let happen without wanting to do something about it. I value that kind of effort and that energy and that intention. One of the things that 
Michael talked about that I want to expand on is this idea that all roads lead to Rome, as he said. And then there isn't just one way. There isn't one right way. There are acting teachers who will say, I have my way, I have my methods, I've learned from people, and I've sort of gleaned what I think is useful, and I'm going to offer it to you. But the healthy ones say, take what works for you, and you can leave the rest. And I'm not the only and the best in town. As soon as somebody says to you that they have the only way, and that happens a lot with cults, that happens a lot with Bible-based cults. This is the only way you're going to have a relationship with God. This is the only way you're going to be protected when the end of the world comes. A lot of groups also that are involved in pseudoscience and miracle cures. We have the way to cure you, to protect you, and you can't get that anywhere else. That's one of the signs of a destructive group. And the reason that it's destructive is that you will become dependent on it if you believe that message. And people have said to me, I was afraid of leaving, let's say, this Bible-based cult that I was in because I really believed that leaving that group or that church meant that I was leaving God. God didn't exist anywhere else, as though God sort of was invented by that group. And so when you have people who say those things to you, yes, you're going to be dependent. You're going to stay there. You're going to feel also so indebted, so grateful that they've provided you with something you just can't get anywhere else. It's something that I talk about on this show, this idea of scarcity. When we're talking about even within a business model, like the, the list of techniques that are used in business as outlined by a man named Robert Cialdini. If you can get people to think that something can only be provided for them there, the only thing in this situation that's going to help you have a career, that's going to help you become the actor that you want to be, and you are not going to be able to get that anywhere else, well, you're going to be clamoring not only to get into that kind of class, but you're going to be working hard to keep the instructor happy with you because you don't want to be booted out of that class if it is, again, the best and the only. But the other thing that happens is that it keeps people from being able to look at other resources that are available to them, other teachers, other methods. And so there are a lot of people out there who are wonderfully talented and who are really good instructors and coaches and teachers. But they don't come out with that same kind of ego. They might not be as famous. They might not have the same name recognition. They might not have people on a waiting list to get into their class. And it's a shame because people will notice that when they get involved in something with someone who really has this ego, enough ego to say, I'm it. You don't have to look anywhere else. In fact, don't. Don't look anywhere else because all other teachers are going to be wrong or bad. It's going to set you back. Well, then you're isolated. Then you really do think at times there aren't other places for you to go to get the skills that you want to get. And then 
a lot of people will feel that they have to do it just right by that teacher because in fact, that's the only way they're going to be able to become famous if that's what they want or really hone their craft if that's what they're looking for. Then they have to make sure that they do everything that the teacher says, no matter what, no matter if they're ready, no matter how uncomfortable it makes them, no matter if it feels wrong. And that's a dangerous situation. There are so many times that people are pushed into that kind of corner. And I suggest that when someone says, you know what, you found it, look nowhere else. There is no need. If you can hear in your mind, yep, that's what that instructor really wishes were the case. That's what that instructor really wants me to believe. And that's what that instructor needs for me to believe. Then you'll know clearly that that class is going to be more about pleasing them and feeding their ego than really helping you develop into the person and the actor that you want to be. Everything is going to be done in reverse. The wrong person is going to be the focus. Don't let that happen. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.